Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. If you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome to the one and only Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot and I do mean a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH podcast. And we definitely want to interact with you after the show. Pat, if somebody wants to do that, where do they go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. So if you're looking for social media account links, boom, right there on the front page. If you're looking for the Patreon, one tier, $2 a month, and a lot of content on the way, it's right there at your fingertips. Also, the T Public Store, where next week we got a sale going on. So if you want to get some ODPH swag, I'm going to tell you right here and now. That is the place to go to get it. And definitely make sure to keep an eye out for that sale when it drops. You know, like I say, save you some money and represent the brand. What better way to do it? I I don't know of any. Also, Parlay Points Blog section, the classified section where you can find friends of the show, such as the 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and many, many more. You can also go to the directory and find the pod on your favorite podcast player. Because, Pat, how many players are we on? 310,000. Sounds about right to me. I don't question it. When Pat says that number, I'm just going to I believe it because if we're not on your favorite podcast player... You need to go find a better one. There might be some Steiner math involved, but it it checks out. It checks out. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the entertainment edition of the show, we finally have arrived at the return of one of the biggest shows on television. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest shows on streaming. Yes. And one that we have been really, really wondering, where are we going now? Yeah. And, Pad, what show is that? The Mandalorian, season three. Yes, the Star Wars spinoff starring Pedro Pascal and the lovable Grogu have now returned to Disney+. Plus. Yes. After two very successful seasons. Oh, yeah. One spinoff show in the Book of Boba Fett, another one with Ahsoka coming out later this year. We yep. are assuming. We haven't heard the official dates just yet. Say no trailers, no dates, but it is presumed to come out this year. Right. And this is the show that put Disney Plus on the map. This yeah. gave a new energy to the Star Wars universe. Changed pop culture. Yeah, literally. Like We talk about when a show can break through and connect with pop culture. It goes on a different level. Let's say when, when when the show debuts, and, it, and I think everyone knew to a certain degree it was going to do well. You know, it's Star Wars. Star Wars always does well. Look at look at box office numbers. You know, but everyone figured it was going to do well. But the fact that like it did as well as it did, and you had a Grogu Funko Pop balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I want to say like that same year mm-hmm. it came out. Just really shows you how big of an impact the show has had. And you got to remember, too, at this time in 2019 when this debuted, nobody, and I mean nobody, knew about the debut of Grogu, which was a, basically a Kid Yoda. The greatest marketing secret in history. Like, how the hell they kept, like, to this day, I have not heard or seen anything about how they kept it secret. But the fact that, like, 
especially in this day and age where like we find out everything through now i know part of it is because they didn't make any toys of it deliberately until after the season was over Mm -hmm. but so like we get a lot of leaks and find out a lot of stuff like i know avengers endgame we knew what the suits were going to look like before the trailer came out because of the toy leaks right you know but the fact that like we didn't see or hear anything about this that like the biggest bomb drop in star wars history you know until the day of is astonishing it's absolutely mind-blowing that this was kept under wraps in this day and age because usually stuff gets leaked out yeah but this surprised everybody and literally since november 12th 2019 this show has been a mainstay of pop culture yeah it hasn't fallen off it's gotten better each year We've been introduced to many new characters in the Star Wars mythos that are now set to have their own shows and really continue that legacy forward without any real knowledge of any more movies coming out as of yet. We've well, heard rumors and speculation. There's been, there's been announcements. There's been cancellations. There's been this. There's been that. Yeah, until until I see a trailer, until I sit in the theaters, I'm not believing it. Right. So the story of the fallen Mandalorian bounty hunter who is now taken upon himself to be a guardian protector for this child with much power and very little responsibility as of yet has really captivated audiences. Yeah. And now we are at season three. We are going to be breaking this episode down. So if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. What we'd like to do is give a spoiler-free statement of the episode that we are covering. Then we give you a countdown. After said countdown, we go deep diving into spoilers. So you have been forewarned right here and now. So if you need to duck out then, pause the episode, jump back in after you see the episode, perfect. We don't want to ruin anything for you. If you've already watched the episode and you're like, man, I really want to talk about this, perfect. Stay on after the countdown and we go deep diving and we are covering a lot with this one because there was much, much, much to discuss with this. Mm -hmm. So that being said, Pad, let us talk about Chapter 17, entitled The uh, Apostate, mm-hmm. which is Season 3 of The Mandalorian's debut episode. Thought it was a great episode. You know, overall, it was it was on the shorter side. You know, I was surprised when I booted up Disney Plus this morning, you know, figuring out, all right, how long is this? Oh, it's only 37 minutes. You know, but for 37 minutes, it really didn't leave any filler in. You know, it got in, it got in, it got out, it did what it needed to do. You know, it set up this, the plot for the season and what we should expect. You know, and overall, it was a really great premiere. It didn't feel like a premiere, but I don't mean that in a bad sense. Sure. Obviously, we have already had 16 episodes of The Mandalorian. Very high action, very fast moving. The story is not dwelling too long on anything. Right. And going into season three, we have an idea what to expect. Right. I thought what they did here that worked is they hit the ground running. We saw a couple familiar faces. We set the tone of the direction for the season because there's only going to be eight episodes again. Right. And I really think they capture the magic again. Pedro Pascal being the Mandalorian, wearing a mask so you don't see his face, really exemplified the body language to really convey what the character was going through. Yeah. And I thought for where they left things going, even though it was a short episode, I think they nailed their points. I thought there was a couple filler points, but... It didn't hurt the episode. Right. Which is perfectly fine because I think they're going to come back to them the deeper we go this season. Well, they were also, we got to know, in an interesting position just because it wasn't in a traditional premiere where, like, 
you're dealing with the ramifications or the the continuation of what you saw from the end of the previous season mm-hmm. because we left the end of the last season spoiler alert but it came out you know a couple of years ago yeah you know where you know uh Moff Gideon was arrested you know they had saved Grogu who was rescued but the whole crew was rescued by Luke Skywalker you know and Luke left with Grogu to train him you know so they weren't dealing with the oh hey we're going to go deal with what happened there no we saw what happened there in the book of Boba Fett yeah you know which hey if you skip that show for whatever reason boy are you confused right now mm-hmm. you know but so it was in an interesting position where, okay, normally when you have a sequential event of, so okay, we're going to follow what happened there into this next season, albeit time will have passed, things might have resolved. You know, they weren't, they didn't have that though. So it was kind of like a fresh start. Yeah, it was a very clean start. And you saw the time had passed. I mean, yeah. that's the big thing too, that they don't like to really have continuation from season finale to season beginning. Right. And well, and, and that was one thing, too. You mentioned time passing that I know John Favreau and I think maybe Filoni, too, brought up at this uh, premiere uh, last night as we record where, you know, because that's the thing. Star Wars, yeah, time passes, but like they never really say how much time has passed. There's no real like indicator outside of maybe a mention by a character. But, you know, Favreau and Filoni did say that like multiple years had occurred during the first two seasons and that Grogu was with uh, Luke for at least two years. Yeah. So it's an interesting time point to jump back in, but they really nailed it with a very strong debut. Yeah. So that being said, let's get into those spoilers in three, two, one. Pad, talk to me. Thought it was, like I said, thought it was a great episode. It started off really good with that awesome action sequence. You know, and then it kind of died down a little bit, and you built up some story of what's going on in this right back into the action, and then it left you with a great uh, semi-cliffhanger. I won't say it's an oh-shit cliffhanger, but it was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. They tried doing a slow burn with this, especially a bit. especially with the Bo-Katan part. Sure. Which, it was great seeing Katie Sackhoff back. Yeah. I think she's fantastic, so the more we see her on this show, the better. I'm not the biggest Battlestar Galactica fan, so sure. but everything I've seen of her... Outside of that show, I, I really enjoy. And in fact, she's the only redeeming factor of that show. For sure. That, like, basically, if she's not on an episode, I just don't watch it. I'm just glad that because she voiced that character in The Clone Wars, uh, she was able to then portray her on live action, too. Yeah, no, she does such a fanta- fantastic job with her characters. Like I say, when you put her in a, in a group setting like Balsar Galactica, it just sure. didn't connect with me of everybody else. Like, she stole the scenes. And like I said, if she's not featured, I just tuned out. And sure. I just... It just didn't work for me. I, sure. know, I know I'm going to hear about this on social media, but bring it on. That's just my opinion. But where we jumped in here, they did do this kind of flashback sequence. Well, no, it wasn't a flashback. That was taking place in present time where we're seeing this, this ceremony of, you know, the kids joining the guild, joining the clan, whatever the, the group is, mm-hmm. where, it you know, we see the armor forging the Mandalorian helmet, a Mandalorian helmet. It's like a couple shades of blue and they bring it out to the kid. And there's a whole group. Basically, we're seeing where the Mandalorians have moved ever since their base got exposed and they fled the planet in season, the end of season one, I want to say it was, mm-hmm. you know, so we're seeing where they're at and we're seeing a, uh, a ceremony that has been described, but we never got the chance to see. And it's this kid kind of coming of age and, you know, oh, once you, you're, you're following the creed and once you put this mask on, you'll never take it off. 
Yeah, when this happened, I honestly thought this was a flashback at the beginning until... I did too. Yeah, like I said, that's what it kind of had that vibe, so it threw me for a loop at the beginning. So every time I've been talking about this episode, I am just keep saying it's a flashback until like it, then you realize yeah, no, it's not. Because it's not. once they're doing the uh, helmet ceremony, yeah, uh, the party gets interrupted. Well, yeah, so they put the helmet on the kid. He, he recites a couple lines. And then the armorer takes this, like, bowl-looking thing, dips it into the water, almost like he's going to get baptized or something. Mm-hmm. But before they can even do anything with the water, this monstrous-looking thing that I have no idea what this thing is, this is something new, j- jumps out of the water and starts attacking everyone in, in the in the vicinity. Yeah, it almost looked like, uh, I know I've seen the meme since Cocaine Bear of yeah. the meth gator. Yeah, that's kind of, it, it, it is alligator-like, yes. It, it looked like a, a, a hybrid between a turtle and an alligator. Kind of, yeah. A giant one. Uh, yeah, this thing was monstrous. Yeah, but definitely hit the ground running with the Mandalorian faction that's there. And they were trying to take it down. So you'd see this great action sequence doing the traditional Mandalorian fighting yeah. techniques, jetpacks. Yeah shooting flamethrower yeah and the camera work on this was really really excellent yes in fact there's one camera shot which you see that they were putting explosives on the creature's back yep and you see the camera shot like it's almost like a a zoom in fish lens almost yep as the one mandalorian is flying away which that stood out i was like okay this is a really interesting action sequence that you're trying to do and you see that the faction is having problems taking this thing down. Yeah. Which I just kept, I told you off air, I was like, why didn't they just throw the explosives in its mouth? I mean, to be fair, this given the size of that thing, I wouldn't want to go near its mouth either. No, that's why you throw from a distance, shoot it. I don't know. This is what happens when you watch too much Walking Dead. This is true. I digress. So they're struggling to take this thing out. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, you see a familiar ship fly in. Yeah. Pad, what ship is that? Uh, that would be the Mandalorian's uh, custom and Naboo N1 Starfighter. Yep. So all of a sudden making the heroic, dramatic entrance. Shoot, shoots, flies in, shoots lasers at it to distract it from everyone. Mm-hmm. Does a giant U-turn, comes back at it, fires one photon torpedo. Yeah. Right in the gut of the thing. Sh- explodes it everywhere. Got a little graphic if you look in certain parts of the, uh, the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing dies. He just lands and goes... Sup. Yep. Din Djarin and Grogu have shown up to the party. So you do see this very, you know, like awkward situation where the rest of the Mandalorian faction is just kind of looking at him going yeah, like, Yeah, like, ah, oh, shit, this guy's back. What are you doing? So then we doesn't get, even get a thank you. No, it doesn't get a thank you. It's just it's just like he crashed the party. Like your kid, you the kid they just anointed or like indoctrinated in whatever it is into the clan, you know, almost got eaten. You know, multiple people almost got stomped to death by this thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like he comes in, saves him in one shot, and they're like, oh, fuck this guy. Yeah. So it is very interesting to see how they open this up, and then they go right to the title credits, which was kind of – it was a fun little moment there because you have the action that immediately sets the tempo for the episode, and then they go to a little bit of drama. Yeah. Because Mando, as we'll just refer to him as, goes to meet the mysterious armorer. And basically is pleading his case because he has been exposed that he took his helmet off and is no longer considered a Mandalorian under their system of thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an awkward situation that he has because now he has the dark saber from Moth Gideon that basically means he should be running the Mandalorians. Yep. And he can't exactly do this because, well, 
if you're not considered the true Mandalorian, this is not going to work well of connecting with everybody else. Yeah. Emily Swallow, who res- resumes her role as the armor, is basically telling him, well, you are going to have to do something you're not going to like doing, and that is going to find the underwater... Yeah, the, these underwater... It's like an underwater river. I, yeah. I forget what they call it, but it's underwater river on Mandalore. The living waters. That's what it is. Under Mandalore. And it's kind of an interesting way to get there because he's saying, well, they were all destroyed when Mandalore was taken over. Yeah, well, when the Empire came through. Yeah, yeah so... The challenge has basically been said, like, well, if you want to, this is what you have to do. Like, we're not going to, there's no room for error here. Right. And, and to the best of the Mandalorian's knowledge, you know, you're not able to get on the planet because it's supposedly poisoned. Like, the, so the Empire came through, tried to control the Mandalorians, realized it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And so they came through and bombed the place and, and basically gutted the place, destroying everything. And then allegedly, you know, as far as the Mandalorians knew, they were told, oh, yeah, the, the planet got poisoned. So if we go back there, we'll die. You know, so so he's got this whole thing of like he's been told, well, you got to go back to Mandalore and, and bathe in the, in the holy waters and, and you'll be you'll be forgiven. Yeah. Well, I can't go back shit because it's poisoned. So we have the dilemma, you know, and, and it's it's weird because it's like, OK, why are you repeating all this? You found this out and you were told this at the end of season two. Well, now that we know from what Favreau and Filoni said at the season premiere, uh, you know, last night that, you know, Grogu was with Luke for, for two years. That means Mandalore, the Mandalorian was traveling because he was with Boba Fett for maybe like a day. Yeah, two. it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. So he's been traveling the galaxy and doing whatever for two years. So at some point he then mentions and he, he places this piece of glass or, or something on the table. You know, in front of the armor, and he said, and she's like, "Well, where'd you get, where'd you get this?" He goes, "Oh, I got it from a Jawa." So, so, so uh, probably Tatooine could be some other planet, sure. And it's from the surface of Mandalore, and she go, and the and the armor goes, "Well, that's proof. You know, you can't go back to Mandalore." And he goes, "Well, no, that is proof I can go back because it." it she goes, "That proves that there's nothing left." He goes, well, yeah, there might be nothing left, but it proves at least that we can go there because somebody got it from the, the surface of Mandalore. So he's found out in those two years going from I can't go back because it's poisoned to, hey, I, I'll be able to go back because somebody was able to get this off the surface of Mandalore and they didn't die. Yeah, so he does have that hope that he can go back. Yep. This is a one shot. He just he's- doesn't know if he's going to be able to get there because, you know, the place was bombed and destroyed, so it could be covered up by way too much rubble. Right. But this is his only chance. And yeah. and he has to do this. Like I say, this is something that's been weighing on him for quite some time. And now, especially with the Darksaber in his possession, he needs to. And, and you can't convince him otherwise to do it because we see later in the episode a couple of instances of, of offers getting presented to him of like, hey, you're good. Settle down. You know, kick back. Relax. Take up a job. And he's like, no, nah, I got to do this. No, this is something that is his now reason to get up in the morning. Yeah. To be honest. Like, yeah. Other than, you know, take care of Grogu. So you do see him take off. Yep. And there is a very cool hyperspace moment here. Yeah. That when I saw it, it didn't resonate to me, but the minute Pad saw it, uh-huh. oh, this jumped. So as they're flying in hyperspace. Uh, the Mandalorian's asleep. The Mandalorian is sleeping. Grogu is still awake yep. and is looking out from the autopiloted ship mm-hmm. and sees an image to his left. Images. 
so what he sees, they are whale-like creatures called the Pergil. Uh, so I'm reading from an article on denofgeek.com. It says, quote, first introduced in the Rebels animated series, these starship-sized creatures live in deep space, traveling across the galaxy through hyperspace routes. They not only have the ability to travel at light speed, but also navigate hyperspace without crashing into planets, moons, or stars. That said, Pergil have been the cause of ship accidents in space, like when a vessel accidentally collides with one with one while in light speed. Close quote. So yeah, these were creatures that like they're revered and they're beloved and they're super protected by the galaxy's inhabitants. Jedi have studied them. Sith have studied them. You know, they studied them and that's how they developed the Wayfinders Mm -hmm. was based off of stuff they learned from the Pergil. Uh, But they also factored in, uh, given the ending of season two in the series finale of Rebels, which I don't want to spoil in case you haven't seen it. It's also going to tie in to the Ahsoka series coming down the road. So that's why I really don't want to spoil it. Uh, But the fact that they're introducing this now could be something as like a, hey, this is coming. Or it could be a piece of world building for something uh, with the Mandalorian. We'll see. Yeah, so it's definitely noteworthy. Yeah, I'd say definitely something that, like, if you go back and watch the episode a second time or even a third time, pay attention to that scene because it's going to come into... Nothing in Star Wars is ever a throwaway bit. It will come into play at some point down the road. Right. So as they get out of hyperspace, they do wind up stopping at a familiar place. Yeah. And that is the planet of Navarro. Looking real good. Yeah, looking very good. Prospering. Yeah. In a very peaceful-like state. Yeah. And that is due to one person, Pad. Who is that? That is the one, the only, the former world heavyweight boxing champion, Carl Weathers, a.k.a. Grief Karga. Yes. So Karga has now ascended in the hierarchy (laughs) of Navarro. The man's uh, drip game is on point. Oh, my God, yeah. He's got got droids carrying his cape. He's got a cape, and he's got these droids with, like, these wheels for legs carrying his cape. Yes. And he's now High Magistrate Karga. Even, even though everyone keeps calling him Magistrate, he corrects him and says, Hi, High Magistrate. Yes. So you do see the Mando and him have a very touching moment to catch back up, as old friends do, because yeah. the relationship between Karga and Mando has been unique. Well, yeah, and especially, you know, it went from he was simply kind of the middleman for the Bounty Hunters Guild and was the one, hey, I got these jobs, which one do you want to take, mm-hmm. to friends, to, well, to acquaintances, to friends. And, like, I think to a certain degree, Karga understands I wouldn't be where I am were it not for everything the Mandalorian has done. Yeah. We, uh, we also see in the courtyard a giant statue of IG-11 because... Hey, they like him. Yeah, which was a very interesting plot point that we have to kind of decipher because that is the reason the Mandalorian is back on Navarro. Yeah, so he knows he needs to go to Mandalore. He knows he's going to have to explore and go through some caves and tunnels or whatever else. And he needs a droid he can trust. You know, and and the only droid he can trust is unfortunately in pieces and currently a statue on Navarro. Mm -hmm. You know, so... And, and with Navarro as prosperous as it is, you know, and, and mining going on, and, and I, I think at one point Karga even mentions there's a construction boom going on, you know, there's a boom in business. You know, he goes, well, why do you need that one? You know, that one's in pieces. That's all we could really find from the re- from where he blew up. Yeah. You know, why, we, why don't we go find an, uh, another one? And uh, the Mandalorian goes, all right, we'll try. Hard cut to the statue with the surviving pieces of IG-11 gone. Yes. Hilarious. It's a funny scene as they're trying to put him back together. Yeah. And at one moment, you do think that maybe they've succeeded to a degree. Yeah. 
But then it turns into a scene out of the Terminator. Pretty much, yeah. Where IG-11's original programming is to kill Grogu. Yep. Because while it became a nanny droid, essentially, yes. uh, later on, in the very first episode, it was accompanying the Mandalorian to find and capture and or kill their target, which was Grogu. Yeah, so it's a very cool scene that happens, a little break in the action, so to speak, until they do see that, well, IG-11 has turned over to somebody else to get work done. Yeah. And that is a uh, little fan favorites, pun intended. Yeah. And that is the Anzellans. The Anzellans. It's the same uh, race that we saw Babu Frick in Rise of Skywalker. Yes. So, which, which honestly might be the only good thing to come out of Rise of Skywalker. Facts. Just saying. Oh, absolutely facts. And they do say, well, if we get a couple more parts, we might be able to fix them. Right. Well, they well they try fixing them, and they're like, well, we could fix them, but like, there's no salvaging the memory core like the, right. mem- the memory core is destroyed and, and he's like well and i gotta say i love the one there's one shot you don't you gotta look for it and you don't see it again because they don't show from that angle again there's an angle where they show the camera shoots in from where grief carga is because mm-hmm. grief carga stays outside the mandalorian goes inside there's one camera shot from grief carga's angle and it's the mandalorian on the side and just the difference in size is hysterical oh it's amazing it's it's incredible but so he's they're the Anzalans are like, well, no, we can't fix them. Well, what do you mean you can't fix them? Well, he needs a new he needs a new memory core. You know, okay, well, go find one. Go buy a new one. They don't make them anymore. We can't find them. He goes, well, could you at least fix them? And then I find you the core. They're like, yeah, if you can find a memory core for him, we'll fix them. So that's his that's his other you know added to do is he's got to find a memory core for IG eleven. That's his short term goal right now. Yeah, the long term is Mandalore, but the short term is get IG eleven back yep. up and running. So as he leaves the IG-11 situation, well, we do see that Karga can't outrun his past, so to speak. Yeah. And in front of a school, no less, Yeah, is a bunch of pirates. Yep. Space pirates, that yep. is. Yep. And they are representing Gorian Shard. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an interesting moment here. Former friends of Grief Cargas. Yes, that they're basically saying, well... They, they want to catch up, have old times, get a drink. Yeah. Except the place where they used to get drinks is now a school. Right. And, and they can't understand that. And Carga keeps telling them... Hey, we're reputable. Yeah, Navarro is not the place that you remember. If you want to have a drink in my office, we can do that. Well, and- he, he tries... Yeah, he tries playing nice with him. He's like, hey, listen, you can't drink there anymore. It's a school. And the guy goes, oh, well, that explains why the droid won't let me in. He's like, hey, come on. He's like, come on, let's go get a drink. He's like, yeah, fine, we'll, we'll do that. Back at my office. He's like, no, we're going to do it right here. Mm-hmm. And it turns out just the way you would think it. Yeah. There is a standoff. Yeah. Karga shoots the gun out of the pirate's hand. Yep. And the other four are standing there, and they try making a move, and yep. then... Yep. The Mandalorian has to intervene. Drops at least two of them. I think Grief gets the other ones. Yeah, so... I, I, at first, I thought Mandalorian got them all, but I think he only gets, like, maybe two in the other. I think they split two and two. Yeah, so out of five, one is left standing. Yep. And they let him go. Where, and, the, and the Mandalorian even brings up, hey, don't you want to kill him? And he goes, no, he'll, he'll make it known that uh, Navarro is an upstanding place now. So he thought. So he thought. So... The Mandalorian goes back on his quest to go find the parts for IG-11. Yep. And sure enough, in space, the pirate that got away decides to lay a little trap for him. Yeah. And brings a couple more friends. Yeah. There's a great aerial fight that goes on. This was 
sequence was awesome. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know who choreographed the sequence, but kudos to you. No, it was phenomenal. And you saw flying in between asteroids. You saw a lot of stuff that you've seen in like Top Gun. Yeah, and it really popped off, and it was done so well. The musical cues being timed perfectly with the action on screen were like. There'd be an explosion, and right as the explosion hit, you'd hear, bah, you know, and every and the music could die away, and you'd see some more action. And then there'd be another explosion, bah, with another, bah, time, right. oh, my God, it was awesome. Yeah, so Mando is definitely making his way, fighting these pirates off, except he finds out he gets led into a trap. Yeah. And he gets led into literally the <laughs> ship. The, the capital battle ship. cruiser, if you will. It, lo- it looked like a hammerhead class. You know, it's got that familiar front on the front. Yeah, of Gorian Shard. Yeah. Who is basically... He's got all weapons trained. He is hilariously outgunned. Yes. And Mandalorian <laughs> just tells Grogu, this is why you don't trust pirates. Yeah, well, he's like, you don't trust pirates. And this is after a conversation with the, the pirate captain where he's like, hey, you know, I got no qualms with you. And he goes, oh, that's funny because you just killed four of my starships. Yeah. Surrender yours and I'll let you go. Right. And then we get the, hey, never trust pirates. And he boosts past them and escapes into hyperspace. It's a great scene. Absolutely great. I mean, it's something that fits into the Star Wars vein. Yeah. And it's it's a line that only Pedro Pascal can pull off because he kind of has that yeah. weird uh, comedic timing when uh-huh. he's talking to Grogu. Yeah. That I just I can't really see anybody else in the role doing other he did, than he had his comedic timing is on point tw- at least twice that I can remember in this episode because there was the one earlier when IG Eleven gets destroyed after it reactivates, and the and the protocol droid working for Karga, you know, Mandalorian can't hit the broadside of a barn in this instance, mm-hmm. and he can't shoot it, and the droid just pushes the statue over over and, and knocks over the and destroys ig-11 and mandalorian just goes well that's thinking with your head yeah like i say mondo <laughs> mondo in this episode is way too funny but they do end on a more serious note yeah because he does fly to a location and sees a mandalorian castle yeah and pad who is the inhabitant of said castle uh bokeh's hand yep so katie sackhoff's character is sitting there distressed Oh, I don't. I don't even know distress. She's despondent. She's despondent. She's, she's, she's kind of broken emotionally. Yes. So Mondo walks in. Yeah. Like, hey, I want to. I want to partner with you. Yeah. Like, I want to join. Let's go take Mandalore back. Yeah. And, well, she goes. Well, you're the only one. Yeah. And she explains that. Well, when she did not come back with a dark saber, her forces abandoned her. Yeah. And, and became not, mercenaries. They're, they're traveling the the galaxy, being mercenaries. Yeah. And he is just questioning, like, why? And and she is just saying, you don't understand how this works. And the fact that you have it, they'll listen to you. So you go find them. So you go find them. And he is just like, I can't believe you would give up on Mandalore this easy. And then she responds back. Well, your people did all those years ago. Yeah, before the purge, where were you? Mic drop moment. Man, Sackhoff pulled yeah. this amazing off. Yeah. line off. It was just amazing. So, like I say, they kind of leave on, like, that weird frenemy standpoint. Yeah. And the episode literally just fades to black from there. Yeah. So, a lot of moving parts this episode. Like I said, Mondo came back, did his thing, where it was just... I don't want to say it was almost like riding a bicycle, but... Sure. The formula is not broken. No. Came in, action sequences, great comedic timing with Grogu, great banter back and forth with Karga and, and Bo-Katan. And they really just kind of dabbled into a lot of different stories that 
they're going to have to try cramming into seven more episodes. Right. Like, if there's anything I'm going to take away from it sure. in a negative sense, but but hear me out when I say this. You have a short window of time to pull off a lot. Right. Can you do it properly? I think so. I think so, too. Like, I like I don't doubt Dave Filoni and John Favreau pulling this off. Right. They have earned that trust. But it's a question of you are just creating so many plots, you're going to have to really speed this up. Is it going to take away from the overall story at this stage? Right. I don't think it will. I don't think so. But that was the only thing I was just watching this episode going, man, there's a lot happening. Well, because the other thing we got to know is Favreau has said he has not written nor thought of an end for the show. Right. So this very could well just be like they're introducing some plot points or some story points that like may not come up until the end of the season and tie into the next season. Yeah, which, I mean, that's perfectly fine. Like, we don't need an ending to the show. Right. We don't need a bookend at this stage because there's so much that you can do with this character. It it really just depends on what Favreau, Filoni, and Pascal wants to do. Right. Because if he leaves the show, like, hypothetically, because sure. I mean, Pedro Pascal is one of the biggest names in Hollywood right busy, now. Busy dude these days. But I don't think he ever would. No. But if he decided, like, okay, I'm done after season five. Right. Like, I, I played it enough. Then you might have a problem on your hands yeah, that you're going to have to yeah. speed everything up. I don't th- I don't foresee him doing it, but then again, I don't know what his schedule is. I don't know what his plans yeah. are. Yeah. It's just one of those interesting scenarios that, with it being so open-ended, yeah, you can carry some stuff on for a couple more seasons, but at the same time, you have to find that fine line to give it proper justice. Right. Well, and as popular as he is and as big as these shows have been, I mean, you look at you look at the numbers Last of Us has done mm-hmm. and just how popular The Mandalorian has done, that's only going to mean he gets more job offers. Oh, absolutely. And I think he understands the temp in the room, though, too. Like, that's the, that's the one cool thing sure. that I've noticed with him and how he's selecting roles. Sure. He is balancing this out. Like, he has got just two monster shows on TV right now. We haven't even discussed what he has coming in the back end of this year. Right. Because he's not going to go out of the public limelight. I don't foresee him doing Probably it anyway. Probably not. But when you're on two of the biggest shows on TV, and let alone with the Star Wars show that really puts you on the map. Well, and the other thing, too, I'd read this week was because of the popularity of The Mandalorian and because of the popularity of The Last of Us, Kevin Feige and the powers that be at Disney and Marvel want him in the MCU in the worst way possible. And I and I had read that money will not be an issue. Well, it shouldn't be. But the the, the, the problem that you're going to have with him, I can't believe I'm making this comparison, but okay. hear me out because I, I sure don't don't get too wound up. Sure. This is almost like when wrestlers are talking to AEW and they want to sign everybody sure. under the under the sun sure. and money's not a problem. Sure. As the perception oh, is. I understand what you're saying. I yeah. know, I know, yeah. but I know your feelings. And like I say, I don't want to put AEW no. and Star Wars in the same sentence with you. No, uh, I respect. No, that's fine. But it's this, almost this in this instance, AEW is the empire. Yes. But in the, but the situation with Marvel is like, yeah, I think they want to get everybody they can involve. Right. But you have to find the proper project. Sure. And that's going to be the question with them is there's only so many big name properties that they haven't divulged yet. Sure. Like Fantastic Four and X-Men. Right. And then whatever they want to do involving the Avengers next phase. Right. Like that's where everything is going to really be a question mark of where you get them in. Now, sure. Could you do something like Christian Bale did and be a one and done? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But. I, I don't know necessarily. I, I don't think they would. I don't think they would with him either. Like, I think they'd be very smart and, like, lock him up for at least a four-film deal of some character. If they even still do those. 
Well, you know, but I think in certain scenarios, I think they'll throw it out and say, like, sure. okay, here's a list of characters. Who do you want to play? Uh, that I see being more likely. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the you know the Keanu Reeves deal. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know how he's been tagged to so many different roles. He's been tagged to every role in Marvel ever. Right. So it's all ma- it's almost like that. Like, what will it take to get you here? Yeah. And I think that he's going to have that scenario too. But he also understands being the face of a franchise. Right. Because let's face it, he's the face of two. He's the face of two right now, but the Star Wars one is the one that really put him on the radar. I would say the the, the Game of Thrones one got him noticed. It was a blip, you know. It, it was it was a it was a stone or a, a boulder that fell oh, in, sure. fell in the ocean, you know, because of how well he did on Game of Thrones and, and with that, and then you know they saw him and put him on Mandalorian, and that was you know that was that was that was the uh, torpedo getting fired out of the submarine. Right, so his future is going to just keep growing and growing. So yeah. that's going to be not a problem, but something that I think the powers that be at the Mandalorian helm are going to keep an eye on. Dude went from getting his skull crushed in on Game of Thrones to hosting Saturday Night Live. Dude, yeah. Dude's doing real well. No, he's he's crushing it right now, no pun intended. <laughs> see what you did there. But it's going to be a situation where his future and the show's future are really going to be one to keep an eye on just how long you can keep this running for. Right. But... If we take anything away from this episode, they still have a lot of great stories to tell. They don't have to rush anything. No. And they can take their time and really connect with the fans. And this is why that show has done so well. Nothing has ever really felt rushed. No. With this show. No. And I think the powers of be that understand this and they really demonstrate this. Like, you think about the last time we saw The Mandalorian was 2020? At least, yeah. You know, or the, the little blip there with Boba Fett. A little blip there, yeah. But just overall with his own show, it had it had not been for quite some time. So I'm looking it up right now. Uh, show debuted in 2019, obviously. Let's see. Let's go over that. Yeah, it was the next year after, right? Let's say go going to episodes. Do, 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 page loading, page loading, page loading. I want to say 2020. Yeah, you might be right. Season 2 was 2020. Yeah, because yeah. it, went, it went year to year and then it took the year off oh, of Boba Oh, Fett. yeah, that's right. The fucking uh, 2020, December 18th, 2020 was the final episode of Season 2. That was the, that was the day of the five-foot blizzard. Yep. That was the day of the five-foot blizzard we had here in New York. Yes. <laughs> Infamy. Yeah. Infamy on that uh, day. Yeah, I, I watched Luke Skywalker show up on screen and then went outside for about nine hours to shovel five feet of snow. That was actually the birth of the 72-hour embargo, too. Yeah, well, oh, that's true. Yeah, because you got spoiled about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so keep that in mind uh, yeah. when you're posting on social media. But I know we've been rambling on a little bit, but Pat, final thoughts on this episode. Great episode. Super excited The Mandalorian is back. Listen, it is a great time for me as a Star Wars fan because I'm getting two new episodes of Star Wars content every Wednesday for a couple of weeks here with this and The Bad Batch, which, hey, I still have to go watch Bad Batch. I haven't seen it yet just because Mandalorian took precedent. Uh, but, no, it's a real good time to be a Star Wars fan, and I am so excited for The Mandalorian is back. Mando came back in a big way. It's definitely a a must-watch episode. A lot of things to really keep an eye out for. So definitely make sure you're taking some notes or you're listening to this podcast and you're interacting with us because we'll catch you up to speed about this. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Chapter 17, the apostate, of The Mandalorian's Season 3 debut? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my god, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. 
Here are your menus. Oh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know, murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's time to talk more Pedro Pascal. Hell yeah. Because when you're the king of television, the king of streaming, yeah, one segment is just not enough. Nope. Because we have to talk about... The biggest show, and it'll be interesting to see the ratings this week, if we can find out for Disney Plus in them. Probably won't. Just be, The only reason we find out the Last of Us streaming is because it's broadcasted on linear... Fair a, point. It's broadcasted on linear HBO at the same time it drops on HBO Max. So the only reason we find out HBO, the Last of Us numbers, is one, because it's on linear television, and also because HBO wants us to know. And two, outside of... You know, the debut of The Mandalorian and just how big it was. I don't think we've ever really found out numbers from, from Disney. No, not too much. But is it would be kind of interesting if they decided to leak it out just because right. of how dominant he has been on TV. Yeah. With two excellent series. And this is the one that everybody's been talking about. And honestly, they're still talking about, even with the great success of The Mandalorian. And that is The Last of Us, as Pat alluded to. The video game adaptation show for HBO Max has been an absolute ratings juggernaut, if I can use that word. And Pedro Pascal is in the title role of Joel. Bella Ramsey is in the title role of Ellie as they try fighting their way through a fungus-infecting, zombie-esque apocalypse. Uh And trying to find a way to end it all with... Ellie being the possible cure to the wasteland that they are living in because Uh some of the places they've visited over the past couple episodes. Boston was okay. Was okay. Uh, Kansas City. Kansas City. Fucking no. No. Jackson, Wyoming was the only nice place they've been. Jacksonville, Wyoming was wonderful. Yes. But. Colorado? Not so much. (laughs) No. Not so much. Zero out of ten. Would not visit again. Yes. Facts, Pad. Facts. So that being said, we are going to be giving our spoiler-free review of the latest episode entitled Left Behind. So obviously you know how we do it by now. Pad, spoiler-free statement on episode 7. Thought it was a good episode. You know, it was a nice change of pace from the action-packed, crazy, edgy-your-seat, get-your-heart-racing we've been doing for the previous six episodes. So to kind of take a step back, take a new perspective on things, and, and learn a little bit more about Ellie. And, you know, because we really don't know a whole lot about her mm-hmm. outside of a little bit she's told here or there throughout the series. So to learn a little bit more about her was nice. It, w- it was a good change of pace. Bella Ramsey did a phenomenal job this episode. Yeah. Absolutely amazing acting. I know that we were kind of let in with Pedro Pascal. No, this is Bella Ramsey's episode all day. Yeah. And she absolutely crushed it. And the story behind her character really resonated with fans. A lot of reaction online, positive feedback, and just such an emotional tale that she told within the time frame here really makes you understand how she's thinking during this whole right. you know, uh, zombie outbreak. I mean, that's the easiest way you can describe it. It's just yeah. kind of weird how they're doing it with fungus instead of uh, 
you know, traditional zombie yeah. nonsense as we see with other shows. I think the other thing we got to point out and give credit to is the production team for mm-hmm. this episode. Just, Absolutely. Just because the mall. Now, I wasn't sure if this was a real mall or something they built or whatever, but reading from the Wikipedia page for the episode, uh, it says, quote, production designer John uh, Pano, P-A-I-N-O, hoped to find an American-style mall within Calgary for production, having spent much of his childhood in malls. The crew was granted permission to transform the Northland Village Mall for production as it was scheduled for demolition, uh, close quote. So incredible job they did with this mall because this mall even though you know so who i don't know how long the mall had been abandoned for or whatever but this mall looked like crap mm-hmm. it definitely played a very big part in the story but it didn't spoil anything just now but we gotta get into the spoiler aspect yeah. of the show because you know what there's a lot to break down about this episode so let's get into it three two one spoiler time pad thought it was a great episode i know i know some people have differing opinions about it but hey that's your opinion you know, but I thought it was a great episode. You know, like I said, it's been action-packed and edge of your seat and craziness. You know, what's going to, especially with the last episode with with what happened with Joel. And, oh, my God, you know, my I was watching with my girlfriend and she goes, no, you know, the last episode. No, no, I can't end that way. And, and to put us off a week of finding out what's going to happen was a bold strategy. But I, I, for me, it worked. I was very surprised that we did not see more Pedro Pascal in this episode. Sure. And I'm glad that the writing team did that because this allowed Bella Ramsey just to really dive into the character of Ellie and really make that connection to the fans. Right. And this episode, I mean, it was a complete home run with me. Yeah. And I just sat there going, wow, like this is really taking a look at what she's seeing in the world. And while she is the cure allegedly to everything going on, it shows how much she is gravitating for somebody to connect with. Right. And really drive that point home that she needs to have somebody there because she feels so isolated in the world. And you understand why after seeing this episode, why she is so hellbent in high water about making sure Joel survives and that she refuses to leave his side. Right. Because as you touched upon, he was mortally injured yeah. last episode when they were getting jumped out of uh, the University of Colorado escaping. He did suffer a very, very big stab wound. I'll say this wasn't just a simple flesh wound. No, this dude was like gored. Yeah. And last we saw, he was lying dead in the snow. Fell off a horse. Yep. And the episode picks right up where Ellie is trying to stabilize his wound and keep him alive best she can in some house all the while he's telling her to leave yeah he's saying you you need to go yeah because he understands what she means to the world because she's the only person as of right now that has survived an attack and lived yeah she has the bite mark on her arm she's got the scars but she did not turn so they want to know what's in her dna that makes her so special so Joel understands this. And like I say, Pedro Pascal, even though he was only in this episode for a handful of minutes. A couple of minutes, yeah. Still did a great job. Even when he was lying there dying, yeah, uh, still made that point that he understood the mission at hand. And yeah. that's what he's saying. You need Ellie, you need to go find Tommy to pick up the slack. You need to go find. Yeah. And then it immediately flashes back to her growing up in this new world. Yeah, it's it's a couple months, couple of years earlier in Boston. Yeah. yeah. 
So you find that she's now in one of the Fedra schools. Yeah, boarding school. Yes, so that is the military group that is running things right now. The Federal Disaster Response Agency. Yes. And she is kind of having a tough time in school. Yeah, she doesn't she's kind of, you know, the puzzle piece that gets mixed in with the wrong puzzle mm-hmm. where, where it, 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 it kind of matches a little bit in certain spots but it doesn't quite fit right so she is really having a tough time i, I don't want to say making friends but i think that she's just really having an issue dealing with others yeah yeah and you do see that she is alone in her dorm room because her roommate riley played by storm reed who absolutely did a crushing job yeah. too in, in her own right yeah has been gone. Yeah. And has been missing for what it, she said was three weeks. Yeah, they presu- missing but presumed dead. Because, right. hey, you've been missing for three weeks in this world. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're missing more than a week, you're just considered uh, yeah. Yeah. plant fodder. But at this point, yeah. I guess is the easiest way to put it. But Riley does return. In the middle of the night. Yes. Scaring the absolute crap out of Ellie. Yeah, because I think Ellie is sitting in the... She sits in her room... You know, a- after a day of activities, you know, and then she falls. As- she looks at the bed. She falls asleep and then she's sleeping. And, it- and God, the cinematography with this episode, because you don't see who it is sneaking into the room, but you just see somebody sneaking in there and they're masked and they're hooded. And you can't tell who it is. And my girlfriend even gasped. Oh, God, no. Like she thought uh, Ellie was going to get killed. Yeah. So you do see that they kind of have a little argument about what's going on and riley reveals that well since she's been gone this time she's joining the fireflies so that is the resistance group in this new world they don't like fedra no they don't like fedra at all so riley is kind of disappearing and just doesn't want to be anywhere near fedra you do see that there is a moment that they go back where when ellie gets into a fight Mm -hmm. during uh gym time at the school yeah they kind of have like this, it's supposed to be like a heart to heart, but it doesn't come off that way. Yeah. Because the captain is just basically saying, do you know how much potential you can be here? Yeah. You could be one of the greats of Fedra. You you could you could do well in this school and have it easy, or you could not and get the grunt work of working sanitation. Yeah. So Ellie is just in there just tuned out. And she, like, she could not care less. Yeah, she doesn't care less. Like I said, she could care less. She's just sitting here going, like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah, my well, best friend, Riley, is gone. Yep. I'm sitting here talking to you. You're trying to sell me about being all that I can be. And what can I be in this insanity that you call a, a real world? I mean, it, it's probably the same, you know, Fedra, military guy. It's probably the same speech he gave hundreds, thousands, oh, of, sure. thousands of times to other perspective you know, candidates who were looking to do something and it's probably worked thousands of times. So it, it's, it's, a, it's an automatic response for him, mm-hmm. you know, and it worked back before the world turned to shit, but now this is a whole different world. This is a whole different ball game. It don't always work like that. No. So she winds up sneaking away with Riley because Riley is, she Riley convinces her to leave. It's like, Oh, Hey, I want to show you something. Uh, Ellie doesn't want to leave. Cause she's like, Oh, well I've got, chores in the morning or whatever it is mm-hmm. because no she says that she's got to leave for atlanta oh the, the uh, that's how she convinced her she's like oh yeah right i'm leaving for atlanta yeah because that's the fireflies have assigned her to go there so yeah. they basically yeah. have one last night together yeah and you do see that riley brings ellie to an abandoned and vacant yeah uh, 
shopping mall. Yep. Which, I mean, Pad, like you touched upon, the production team here deserves a ton of credit. Yeah. Because this is not an ordinary one-level mall. No. This is multi-levels like you would see in the Mall of America or if you're here in upstate New York, Destiny Mall. Destiny USA, yeah. Yeah. So they capture that vibe, and like I say, depending on where you are in the world, to to really kind of like put a mall into perspective, because I mean they're, they're a dying breed yeah. these days. Is just so many stores, so many different things that were in there. I mean, it was a social hangout for a yeah. lot of people, and Riley remembers this and is trying to bring Ellie back to this. No, this is why I said we got to give the production crew credit was because the production team built twenty to twenty five storefronts in the mall. Yeah, so this wasn't a mall that conveniently had. You know, all of the restaurants and the food court and the Victoria's Secret and the everything. Else. Like, they had to build these things, mm-hmm. which is insane. Yeah. So you do see the pair going through the mall. And this plays a lot into the video game, too. So yeah. Then it's, you know, it's, it's almost mirror by mirror. Like, there's a scene with the photo booth yep. where they take some, you know, very fun photos yeah. with each other. Yeah. There's the arcade where you see Riley is showing <laughs> Ellie how to play a game. Mortal Kombat 2 in the, in the show, yeah. Yeah, because in the, the dorm room, too, I remember seeing this online. Yeah. Ellie has a poster of Mortal Kombat 2 on her wall. Yeah, on, on the door uh, of the bed. It's hard to see just because the it's not well lit in the in the dorm room. But yeah, there is a Mortal Kombat 2 uh, um, poster on the door, and they brought and they brought that up in the post uh, after the show, like post production talk or whatever they do, mm-hmm. where they, they're like, oh yeah, that, that that was a great moment for them because this is a game like the poster's been on the wall. They they probably know have found magazines and know everything about the game. So for them to finally be able to play the game was such a, a great moment for them. Yeah, and they do have a moment with a carousel that's in there, which yeah. I was, you know, like I say, for this mall, like they had so they had much a lot stuff. going on. Yeah. Like I said, it reminded me just cause we're, how close we lived to destiny. Yeah. You know, like that kind of vibe. Yeah, no, it did. I was, I was at destiny USA a couple weeks ago. I was getting a lot of sim, uh, similar vibes. Yeah. And then it kind of goes into the real heart wrenching moments of the, yeah. of the episode. Yeah. Because you do see Ellie is pleading with Riley to stay. Yeah, you don't have to go. Yeah, and she is working the best she can to have Riley stay. And Riley kind of does a reluctant degree. Like, I didn't buy that she was fully saying, like, I'm, I'm going to stay. Right. But you see Ellie gives this just impassioned speech and then kisses her. Yeah. And just now when you have, like, them two coming together as a couple. Right. Much like any apocalyptic zombie world something's got to ruin the party yeah it's like it can't always be sunshine and rainbows the entire time right so you do see that when they activate the stuff in the mall like the lighting and yep. the carousel yep. it does awake a clicker yep and now the clicker has tracked them down in this jewelry store that they're in yeah you know i kind of remind me almost like in a uh, spencer's kind of a little bit a little, a little bit. bit like yeah. if you know where that is so it, it kind of just kind of like a combination of like that in a jewelry store. Sure. Yeah. So you do see that this uh, clicker is now running at them and attacking them. And you do see that Ellie is fighting it off. And yep. then it goes now after Riley. Yeah. They're, they're both like using all of their strength to hold it at the neck to stop it from biting them. Mm-hmm. Ellie does wind up stabbing it in the head when it's at Riley. Because Riley has a, a pistol, if I'm not mistaken. I I don't know what type, but she, she fires all of her bullets at it, and I think she she might hit it a few times, but she never hits it in the head. Yeah, it doesn't get a headshot. Yeah. 
you know, it just kind of gives it a flesh wound. But once they put it down, they realize the worst fears have happened. Yeah. This is where Ellie was bit. Mm-hmm. And you do see the bite on the arm. It's right out of the video game. And you do also see that Riley has been bit as well. Uh. So they're now preparing for what happens next. You do see Ellie have this just emotional release where she's smashing the glass out of the of the jewelry store. Yeah. And you see that Riley is just kind of coming to terms like what could happen. And like, you know, they're thinking all types of different you know thoughts. But what they kind of do is they just sit very quietly and hold each other's hands waiting for the inevitable to happen and them to turn. And then it just jumps away. So you never see the moment that Riley turns. Yeah. yeah. But you do understand in this moment just how impactful Riley was. I mean, that was, you know, Ellie's best friend, her true love, like your first love, I should say. Yeah. So you do see that moment just resonate on her. And just like when she loses her, and that's the first person that we have seen her open up to. Yeah. The next person that we've ever seen that happen with is Joel. Joel, yeah. I mean, and it's hard for Ellie just because from what little we saw, you know, in the 55 minutes of this episode, you know, this is the only friend she has because you've you've got the the captain who talks to her, but she didn't give two fucks about this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and presumably... Nobody else cares about her. Nobody else is friends with her. So this is literally the only per. This is the only we don't, we don't know what's happened with her parents or what happened with her family or the, at this point. You know, this is literally her world. This is literally the only thing she gets up for in the morning. Yeah. So you do see as a flashback to reality, Ellie refuses to let Joel die. Yeah. And she starts ransacking that house. Oh my god! Yeah. Looking for anything to deal with the wound. Yeah. And then, sure enough, homemade she, sutures. She finds thread and a needle. That'll work. And she don't know if it'll hold for very long, but it'll work. It'll do just enough as she literally sews up the wound. Yeah. On Joel. Yeah. And this is no anesthesia. No. Nothing to numb the pain. She didn't even give him like a piece of a tree to bite on like they do in the in like the movies from like the 1800s and seven, that no. was set in the 1800s. He's screaming in pain. Yeah, well, because like, like you watch those movies that are like set in the Civil, yeah, yeah, War, yeah, yeah. Civil War or something. They at least, oh, hey, bite on this. She didn't even give him that. No, there's nothing. And he is literally sitting there agonizing in pain, but she's smiling, not because of what she's doing to him, because she's saving him. Uh-huh. And that's how the episode ends. So, like I said, I thought this episode hit the marks where it needed to. We've had so much about Joel and the focus on him. This was great that Bella Ramsey got a chance to really shine yeah. and ran with the material and, like I say, was equally as matched by Storm Reed. Yeah, oh, God, Storm Reed was incredible. I thought both of them really portrayed that young couple and growing up in this world. Yeah. Like, we get used to seeing people just adapt to it. It's almost like, in a weird sense, like Walking Dead Syndrome. And I know sure. that we make a lot of comparisons to it. It's the closest thing we got. But it's the closest one we have. Like, you take a look at the show Worlds Apart that happened, their teenage show. Right. And just how they reacted to the world they were in. Yeah. And you never really saw that kind of, like, overwhelming sense of, like, where do, you know, right. this is normal. Right. Like, you see this point where Ellie and Riley are just 
going, we're going to have fun and just have this moment because we know that the future is not guaranteed. Right. Tomorrow ain't promised. Right. So they do have this, you know, very big celebratory moment in the mall. And it just, it shines that even as crazy as this world has gotten, they're finding some way to find enjoyment with each other's company and just the moments they're in. And ultimately it's taken away because, well, let's face it, it's the zombie apocalypse, just this by fungus. But still, you see that connection made. You see just the drive in Ellie and what her future has to hold. Right. And now knowing that, it makes that moment when they flash back forward to Joel right. so much more impactful. And it really just hits that home run that you're going, okay, these two need each other. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the only other question you have is, depending on what you know of the video game, right? what is going to be happening in these next two episodes? Because we only have two left. Only two. For season one. Yeah. I have no, I have no, I, I know where the story's going to go because of the video game. I've, I've read, I've seen gameplay and I've read the story. But in terms of how they're going to do it, I don't know. You know, I, I, it's going to be fairly faithful to the, uh, to the game, I'm, I'm sure, but it's going to be a hell of a watch to see, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm excited about everything that we have coming up for The Last of Us. Even two episodes left. Going out on a strong note, I assume. Oh, I, I imagine. Uh, the season finale, I can't even think what they're going to do, but I am definitely going to be here for it. Pad's going to be here for it, and we hope you are too because we definitely want to interact with you about it. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about episode seven titled Left Behind of The Last of Us on HBO Max? And then what's your thoughts going into the season finale? we got two episodes left. Got a lot to talk about with it. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale of Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Mott, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast Pad. We have a lot to talk about, so let's yeah, get into it. i got a couple things to talk about, the first of which is some unfortunate news in the passing of a legendary uh, Disney animator, director, writer, uh, and that is Bernie Mattinson. Yeah. Uh, so if you have not heard the name, uh, you will know his work in just a minute. Uh, but reading from an article on thehollywoodreporter.com, it says, quote, Bernie Mattinson, who worked as an animator, director, producer, and story artist during a 70-year career career as the longest serving cast member in the history of the Walt Disney Company has died. He was 87. Mattinson died after a short illness on Monday at a uh, Kananga Park assisted living facility in Los Angeles, the studio announced. He was due to receive his 70th anniversary service award, the studio's first ever on June 4th. Mattinson was working full-time at Walt Disney Animation Studios as a story consultant and mentor at the time of his death. Quote, Bernie's artistry, generosity, and love of Disney animation and the generations of storytellers that have come through our doors for seven decades have uh, has made us better. Better artists, better technologists, and better collaborators. Walt Disney Animation Studios Chief Creative Officer Jennifer Lee said in a statement, 
All of us who have had the honor to know him and learn from him will ensure his legacy carries on, close quote. Uh, so let me just go through his IMDb page uh, because, well, like I said, you might not know the name, but you sure as shit know some of the work he's done. So, mm-hmm. so from art department work, he has done work on All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, it was uncredited, but he did additional storyboard artist for the Simpsons movie in 2007. Uh, in the animation department work, he did stuff for Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, the animated version in 1961, The Sword in the Stone, Mary Poppins, The Jungle Book, again, the animated version in 1967, The Aristocats, Robin Hood, again, the Disney version in 1973, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, uh, Big Hero 6, and Strange World. And then for a writer, listen to this, listen to this credit list. Mickey's Christmas Carol, uh, that was the 1983 animated movie. The Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, Tarzan, uh, how, uh, The Ballad of Nessie. Uh, and then for uh, then uh, he was a director on a couple of movies. Uh, he was a director for, uh, he directed The Great Mouse Detective and Mickey's Christmas Carol. Uh, but like I said, legendary storyboard, legendary art writer, artist, you know, and everything like the great mouse detective is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Like hands down seen it. I can't tell you how many times. And it's one of those movies that like, if I need a comfort movie, I've had a shitty day, you know, I just need to go back on something like tune it. Like if the world's been really crazy, I need to tune everything out and just go for something comforting. Great Mouse Detective is one of the ones usually in the rotation because it's one of those movies that, like, I never get tired of. I've seen it thousands of times. I know the, I could almost recite the movie front to back verbatim. Yeah. You know, but it's just one of those movies that is such a classic for me that I love that I had no idea he worked on it. I had, like, I'd seen the name, but, like, I never put two and two together. But so for the work he did, I say thank you and rest in peace to a legendary um, person in the movie industry. Yeah, I mean, legendary resume, just a legend in the business. Yeah. And, I mean, I echo uh, Pat's statements. I mean, our deepest condolences out to his family, friends, and fans all over the world. Like, a true legend in the industry. Yeah. Uh, Next up, we got a trailer dropped from the folks over at Netflix just yesterday, or two days ago as we record. And on May 25th, he's back, baby. The Governor Arnold. (laughs) in In his first ever television series titled FUBAR. Yeah, this is real. Yeah, this this is real. Uh, which the description on the on the uh, YouTube page reads: Arnold is back, May twenty fifth, and starring in his first series ever, Fubar. Everything else is top secret except for that ice pick or ice pack he's gonna need. Uh, then it says also starring Monica Barbaro, Millen Carter, For, uh, Fortune Feimster, Travis Van Winkle, Jay uh, Baruchel, Andy Buckley, Aparna Bridell, Barbara Eve Harris. Fabia, uh, Fabina, Fabiana uh, Udinho and Gabriel Luna uh, from creator Nick Santora, Reacher, and Prison Break. A CIA operative on the verge of retirement discovers a family secret. Forced to go back into the field for one last job, Fubar tackles universal family dynamics set against a global backdrop of spies, action, and humor. That's it, and that's all for now. This, listen, it's Arnold, it's action, I'm in, May 25th can't come soon enough. Yeah, I don't need much. This works for me. Like, this yeah. just looks absolutely absurd, but yep. I'm here for it for all the right reasons. I mean, yeah. it's Arnold at this at this day and age. Can't I mean, go wrong. Yeah, you can't go wrong can't with that. Can't go wrong. 
Uh, and then we got some Umbrella Academy news sticking with Netflix and some uh, new casting for the final season. Uh, and that is Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally, uh, and David Cross are okay. joining the final season. Uh, so reading from an article on Nerdist.com, it says, quote, the Umbrella Academy is coming back for a fourth and final season. After th- after season three's bizarre storylines that left us with many questions, we cannot wait to see what happens next. How in the world will the Hargreaves siblings attempt to save the universe, again, when they don't have powers anymore? Honestly, anything can happen, and if anyone can figure it out, it's five. But he will have some opposition from Allison, who has gotten what she wants at a very steep price. Uh, we don't know when the Umbrella Academy will return, but we do know that it's in production in Toronto, and a few new faces are joining the series, including Nick Offerman, David Cross, and Megan Mullally. Uh, in the Umbrella Academy Season 4, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally will portray Doctors Gene and uh, Gene and Gene Thibodeau, a married college professor duo from New Mexico who, sent, who sent, wear sensible footwear and suffer from the most extreme case of deja vu this timeline has ever seen. What does that even mean? Who knows? Uh, so super excited for this. So listen, Umbrella Academy is an amazing show. If you haven't seen it, you should absolutely go watch it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that it's definitely picked up some steam over the past season. Yeah. Uh, a lot different than the comic has been, which is not a bad thing. Like it, it, the first, that's probably a very big question mark with a lot of fans. Like, sure. If they love the comic or they love the show more. A majority of people we talk to love the show more. Uh, the comic is goes off in a couple different more directions than the show did. So uh, not complaining about this at all. Love the castings. And like I say, going into the final season, they're going to go out with an absolute bang. So I'm here yeah. for it. And then lastly, and certainly not leastly, was some news I sure as shit didn't see coming. At least not yet. Saw it coming someday. Mm-hmm. Not, not in 2023. Warner Brothers is bringing back Lord of the Rings. What? Yeah, so uh, the headline from the Variety <laughs> article reads, quote, New Lord of the Rings movies set at Warner Brothers. And the article reads, quote, Warner Brothers Pictures is revamping the Lord of the Rings film uh, film franchise. On a Thursday earnings call, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zlaslav announced that newly installed studio leaders Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi have brokered a deal to make multiple films based on the beloved J.R.R. Tolkien books. The projects will be developed through uh, through WB labeled New Line Cinema. The first Lord of the Rings trilogy, helmed by Peter Jackson, grossed nearly $3 billion worldwide. Jackson's follow-up trilogy, based on Tolkien's Hobbit, matched those grosses. No filmmakers have been attached to the projects as yet, but in a statement to Variety, Jackson and his main Lord of the Rings collaborators, Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens, said Warner Brothers and Embracer, quote, have kept us in the loop every step of the way. We look forward to speaking with them further to hear their vision for the franchise moving forward, close quote, Jackson, Walsh, and Boyan said. Free Mode, a division of Embracer Group, made the adaptive rights deal for books, including Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. The pact will be billed under the name Middle-Earth Enterprises. Notably, DeLuca and Abdi left MGM last year to take the helm of Warner Brothers. Their exit followed the acquisition of MGM by Amazon. The tech giant owns the rights to Lord of the Rings, TV rights to Lord of the Rings and produced a single season of television at the gut-busting price of over $450 million in 2022. Following, quote, following our recent acquisition of Middle Earth Enterprises, we're thrilled to embark on this new collaborative journey with New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers Pictures, bringing an incomparable world of J.R.R. Tolkien back to the big screen in new and exciting ways, said uh, Lee Gurenchard, CEO of Freemode. 
We understand how cherished these works are and uh, and working together with our partners at New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers Picture, we plan to honor the past, look to the future, and adhere to the strongest level of quality and production values, close quote. So I figured at some point we'd be getting new Lord of the Rings movies, mm-hmm. but what it entailed, I had no idea. Did not expect this to today. Now, they're not outright saying it's going to be a remake of the three. Yeah. It could be some of the other stuff, because if in case you're not aware, Tolkien wrote a lot. You know, there's a Yeah, whole, there's a lot of books. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of material to work with. And originally, they only had the rights to Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and, and that's what they stuck with, you know, and then they eventually acquired the rights to The Hobbit, and that's why they made The Hobbit movies. So maybe they've got the rights, you know, to more of the works and more of the franchises, because there's a couple of books that have come out, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, the last 10 years or so, you know, Children of Hurin, uh, Baron and Luthien, and then The Fall of Gondolin, that, like, you could make into a singular movie, you know, depending on where they want to go with it. Do I think they're going to remake the franchise? Listen, they didn't say yes, they didn't say no. So at this point it's a maybe. You know, I don't I don't know which way they're going to go with it. Am I up in arms that they're doing this? No, because is this going to erase you know the previous trilogy? No, you, you if you own the movies, you're still going to be able to watch them. They're you know, if if they happen to remake the the Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers and Return of the King, they're not going to be deleted off of, you know, HBO Max or whatever streaming service they happen to be on this month. Right. You know, as long as you own them, they'll still be you, you'll still be able to watch them. I own the Blu-ray extended cuts, you know, so if I want to go back if, if they end up remaking them and I don't like them, hey, I've still got the original original franchise I can watch, but I'm I'm going to give it a shot. I'm a fan of the works. You know, if if Peter Jackson is involved and he's a consultant, I have every faith because he's as big a fan of the franchise possibly more than I am. I don't know what to think of this, to be honest with you. Like, I'm, granted, I have to say, I'm not the level of Lord of the Rings that you are. Right. I just go, okay, from this statement, it's like, we're going to do more movies. Sure. What that entails is wide open. Yeah. And I hope, I, I, I just, I stress this. I don't think they need to remake the originals. Right. Do something else because you're going to walk that fine line. And, and we've talked about this. Sure. When you try rehashing something that is as big as Lord of the Rings is. Yeah. Like you need to either make it as great mm-hmm. or better. Yeah. Or it's a colossal failure. There's a lot they can work with. There's the three books I mentioned. I mean, and and plus there's the entire appendixes that have the entire history of the world from start to finish. Sure. You know, or as far as Tolkien took it, I don't think Tolkien ever wrote, you know, and all then then the universe ended. But there's an entire appendix of stuff that happened. So you can piece some of it together. If if you want to do like when when Balin goes into Moria and eventually dies. Not a happy ending to No, no, but sure. But you could do that. Right. You could do something with the rise rise of Sauron and how he was, you know, uh, Morgoth's uh, uh, servant. You know, you could do something with that. I mean, there's enough in there that you could do stuff with. You don't necessarily have to redo the original three. No, I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying they're not going to. I'm not sitting here going. Right, 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 right. Now I get you. I'm not I get you. going on record saying they're never going to remake the trilogy. I think someday they will. In the same way, I think at some point we're going to get remakes of the Harry Potter franchise. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. I just didn't think we'd be getting this in 2023. No, I didn't think. We were I figured get, I'd be a lot older. I didn't think we were going to get that either. I, that's why I say, like, I'm, 
I'm interested to see what they do, but I yeah. did not come away with that with like a good feeling because I was I was just hoping like we're gonna do something else, like announce sure. like something else. Sure. The fact that the remakes are on the table, right? That does give me pause for concern. Because the only thing I know of that's in the works, because we have uh, Rings of Power season two, which I believe is currently filming. Yes. There's also an anime movie. I think it's it's either animated or anime movie called mm-hmm. War of the Rohirrim. Which got announced a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that's coming from the folks. It's coming from Warner Brothers, if I'm not mistaken. You know, but no, nothing has been said about it since its release. You know, so whether it's still on the table or not, I don't know. But that's the only thing on the table I had known about. This is something entirely new. Yeah, so this is going to be something we're going to definitely have to keep our eyes on moving forward with it when it comes out. So definitely stay tuned for that. Yeah. Now, before we get into our comic picks, because Pad's got some, I got some. There was two big stories that have broken since last show. Uh-huh. One, I completely am all on board with. I can't wait for this show to debut. And the other one, I literally dropped what I had in my hands because I was going, this has got to be like, th- this isn't real. Right. So we'll get into the first one that, like I say, I'm super excited about the show. And that is, it was announced from our good friends over at Boom Studio, so I'm reading their press release. Something is killing the children. TV adaptation in development at Netflix by Dark and 1899 creators. Wow. Quote, Netflix has commissioned Baron Bodar and Jante Freeze acclaimed creators of Dark in 1899 to develop a TV series adaptation of Boom Studios' runaway series hit Something is Killing the Children. The project comes through Netflix's first-look deal with Boom Studios and will be the first TV series from Adar and Freeze under the newly signed multi-year Netflix overall deal. Now, in case you are not familiar with Something is Killing the Children, here is the synopsis that they are sending out. When the children of Arthur Peak begin to go missing, everything seems hopeless. Most children never return, but the ones that do have terrible stories, impossible stories of terrifying creatures that live in the shadows. Their only hope of finding and eliminating the threat is the arrival of a mysterious stranger, one who believes the children and claims that what they claims to see what they can see. Her name is Erica Slaughter. She kills monsters, end quote. So if you're, and I'm just going to paraphrase too, because Boom did send out, or actually I'll just quote it, it'd be easier. Co-created by writers, Jay, writer James Tynan IV, who you know from Batman, and illustrator Werther Delorita, Something That's Killing the Children is one of the most successful original comic series of the last five years, winning multiple Eisner Awards, including 2022's Best Continuing Series Award, selling over 2 million copies worldwide, Pad. Wow. The series has translated into multiple languages in over 20 countries outside of North America. The first issue of the Something is Killing the Children spinoff series, House of Slaughter, sold over 500,000 copies and became the second highest selling non-Marvel, non-DC title to debut of the last 25 years, end quote. I did not know that about House of Slaughter, which, trust me. House of Slaughter is worth picking up. It's an anthology series highlighting characters in this universe. So let me just tell you this. I am fucking ecstatic about this. I can tell you're almost jumping over the table at me. I am 
when I saw this come out, Jesus, I Jesus, stop throwing things. Yeah. I'm like, let's fucking go. I apologize. I am swearing, but this is how excited I am. The series lives up to the hype. So when you hear about, oh, it's winning all these Eisners and Eisner nominated and all that, trust me, what Tynan and Delorta and everybody at the, at the team does lives up to this. It, it, it does slow burn drama better than everybody in comics. And what they're doing in this series, like I say, it's not for the squeamish. This will be mature viewing audience when this comes out. But it does some of the best storytelling in all of comics. And this is going to be something that, like, Pat, I know you're not a horror guy. Nope. I still think you'll like this. Hmm. Like, that's what I say. There might be some imagery, depending on how they follow the comics, that is going to be a little tough. Sure. Like, it is what it is. But... I really think this is going to be a home run. Everybody involved with this, Tynan and Dorota are co-executive producing along with uh, Boom Studios, uh, Stefan Christie, and Ross Ritchie. So, like, they have got a lot of people involved with this um, that are going to be producing. And this is just everybody that is, in, that is tagged to this so far. Like, I this is screaming win. So, I don't have a timetable when this is coming out or anything like that. But the fact that this is announced... Trust me when I say this. We review every single Something is Killing Children spinoff book in Parlay Points for a reason. They're that damn good. If you want to get into the series, highly recommend it. Now is the time to go start picking up the trade paperbacks at the comic shops. And I'm also going to tell you, we reviewed this a couple weeks ago. There's a spinoff book called Book of Slaughter. It's almost like a who's who guide to the different parts of the Order of St. George. Right. So if you want to get into the series... This is what you want to do. I highly recommend it. I, I give it my highest possible recommendation. I am so freaking amped up for this. It's not even funny. And then there is the, ser- the, the other news that came out that has taken me back to my teenage days. We got a press release from Image Comics. Shout out to everybody at Image. And I'm just going to quote it, Pad. Okay. Quote, the best-selling sales hit Battle Chasers by Joe Madrea. And will return to shelves this June featuring artwork from Ludo Lullaby uh, and published by Image Comics. So let me break the, the story down. Um, if you're not familiar with Joe Maduria, and I apologize if I butcher the name. I always just call him Joey Matt. Sure. Um, he was an artist that really rose to fame in Marvel with the X-Men line and especially Uncanny X-Men. Uh, he became regular penciler after Jim Lee left. Okay. And he has a very, very cool style. Like, it's it's very, um, like, manga-influenced. Okay. And really, like, did some very cool visuals when he was on the Uncanny X-Men series. Uh, you know how we talked last week about the Age of Apocalypse. Yes. He did the uh, four-issue spinoff series that was going on during the Age of Apocalypse that starred Sabretooth and Blink, uh, which... Highly recommended. Love that. Love that series too. Um, so he was there for a while and then he left. Uh, I want to say it was 97, 98. Like, so he had like a good three, four year run. Right. With Marvel. Went to form Cliffhanger, which was a creator owned imprint under Wildstorm during the image time. So this was before it went to DC Comics. Right. So he formed with J. Scott Campbell and Umberto Ramos 
for the three books that were under the cliffhanger banner. Uh, some people know, remember, Campbell's had Danger Girl, which was a James Bond-type series. Yeah, yeah. Crimson was Umberto Ramos's book, and that was like a teenage vampire. And then you had Battle Chasers, which was this wild sci-fi fantasy D&D-esque style book that was just amazing. But the book just for like whatever reason, just it never kind of could keep up like on a good schedule uh, stuff going on, but it's so detailed. Like the artwork was amazing. The series I did not realize cause it just kind of stopped producing at issue nine. And it has been a long time since that issue nine right. came out like 2001. Wow. So this is going back now to, the press release that issue number 10 is now coming out 25 years after the original issue had come out um, of issue number one. So there's a new story arc that is going to be kicking off June 14th. Okay. I am like, I love Joey Mads art. So I am super excited to see him coming back to Battle Chasers. I know he had a quick hiccup where he came back and he was doing Avenging Spider-Man right. for Marvel. He's, he did a couple Marvel stuff here and there. But this is one that, like, I saw the promo art. This is, like, just taking me back. And I am just amazed that Battle Chasers is coming back because I just thought he got involved in doing, like, video game stuff and yeah. and, and, and things. So. Just to see him come back to this, and especially 25 years after, yeah, just mind blowing here. But I, I, I cannot scream about how excited I am about this. And if you haven't read Battle Chasers, this is a perfect time to go get some back issues. Go check it out. Like I say, it the book is a wild ride, but sci-fi elements, fantasy elements. A lot of cool stuff going on, and literally, this is the the continuation. Like it's picking right up where issue nine left off, and that was in in twenty or two thousand and one. So to have this kind of dedication for it, I'm excited for it. I can't wait to read it. Um, definitely make sure to have this on your pull list when it comes out in June. We'll definitely be talking about this, and I'm guaranteeing to you, unless something crazy happens, we'll be reviewing this for Parlay Points. That being said. Pad, you got some comic picks. I got some comic picks. Let's get into it to close this episode out. I do. I've got three. They're all, all Marvel, all Star Wars. Uh, first up, issue number four for Star Wars Hidden Empire. Uh, listen, Charles Soule is writing. I, he can do no wrong in my books. Uh, the his series has been fantastic. If you haven't been reading it, you should. Uh, next up is Star Wars issue number 32. Again, Charles Soule. Uh, listen, Charles Soule can't go wrong. <laughs> you can't go wrong can't with Charles Soule. Charles Soule on Star Wars. Well, Charles Soule, period, you can't go yes. wrong with, but... Yes. Him on Star Wars is even money. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not least, hey, if I sound like a broke record, but Star Wars, it's Charles Soule. Uh, it is issue number three of uh, four for the Star Wars, The High Republic, The Blade. Uh, this has been a fantastic series. I read the first two issues just the other day. I will, I'm interested to see where they're going. And like I said, The High Republic, if you haven't gotten into it, it is some of the best storytelling Star Wars has done that isn't done by Dave Filoni. Uh, from the books to the comic stuff, you know, even the audio dramas they've done. It is something new, it's something different, and it's something that, like, if you're turned off to some of the Star Wars stuff, because, hey, you know, the sequel... the, the There's a lot. The sequel franchise wasn't exactly my cup of tea. Give this a shot. You know, at least read some of the comics. Maybe pick up a book. You might, like, find something you like. 
All right. Do you have one that you like out of that, that bunch that you're like, this is my go-to. Like, this is the one book. If you're going to read one book, this is it. Hidden Empire. Uh, because one word, Kira. Okay. Just like, as as in uh, Kira from from Solo. Is, oh. Is, is, is in it. Yeah. And, and she's going up against Vader and Palpatine. You have my attention, Pat. Uh-huh. You have my attention. All right, so this is a very, very solid week at the comic shops, too. A lot of great stuff to pick up. Uh, Dual Powerbomb is now out on trade paperback. So if you haven't read the Daniel Warren Johnson uh, epic, which fuses supernatural elements with pro wrestling, you don't, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but it's literally one of the best stories you're ever going to read. And if you're a pro wrestling fan, this is up your alley because of how much influence Johnson gets from the different styles. Like we're talking strong style. We're talking deathmatch wrestling. We are talking about anything that you makes you a pro wrestling fan, but that's not the driver of the story. Okay. Story is fantastic. I don't want to spoil anything for you. Issue number seven, which closed the series out, uh, hit all the emotional marks. got my highest recommendation that week. Right. It definitely lives up to it. So I'm just telling you right now, get the trade paperback. If you haven't gotten it yet, uh, it's well worth the price of admission. Trust me. And tell pro wrestling fans just like give it a read, mm. they'll get hooked on this. Like Pad, you would you would get this. This is screaming rich from three FN. I'm telling you right now. I don't okay. know. I don't know if he's picked it up yet or not. I am going to be hounding him when we go see Creed about this tomorrow as it's coming out, which I think you're joining us for, Pad. Uh, maybe. Yeah, we got to talk about that off air. We're going to be talking about this at the theater, so definitely be expecting that. But. Don't wait, you know, for our recommendations on this. Like, you need to go out and go get this immediately at the comic shops. Also, Marvel has a pair of books that hit my radar that I just had to see the author, and I'm I was sold. Stephanie Phillips has two big books out this week on Marvel: Cosmic Ghost Rider. Okay. So, picking up the story of the most insane version of Ghost Rider you've ever seen, and I cannot wait to see what she does with the character. And also, Rogue and Gambit, number one, one of the most legendary duos of X-Men lore, have their own solo miniseries going on. Cosmic Ghost Rider, as far as I know, is, a, is an ongoing. But Rogue and Gambit is five issues, and like all I, got, all I needed to see is Stephanie Phillips is writing it. You have my money. Because the work that she has done speaks for itself. Right. If you need something recent to go check out that she does, Grim by Boom Studios. Enough said. Drop the mic. Go get the issues. Phenomenal. On the DC side of things, there was a book that concluded, and that's The Human Target, number 12. Okay. Tom King, Greg Smallwood. Very interesting tale. If you haven't read it, obviously it's been it's wrapping up now. I recommend going to check it out. It takes a great inside look at one of the most underrated characters in the DC universe, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And this is something that I thought... The team did a really good job about illustrating the story and taking a lot of risks with the character. But I liked them. Right. I thought they really nailed it, uh, nailed it out of the park with that. So definitely give that one a high recommendation. And then Parlay Points, which if you're also looking to, we are getting a signal boost from our friends over at the Nerd Initiative. Shout out to everybody over there. Uh, a very solid lineup this week on there as well. Trick Pony from Greg Lockard. Anna David um, for Comixology Originals. Very cool story about a rodeo star who's at the end of the line, so to speak, and really is coming to terms with 
closing one chapter and opening another with the life outside of this when he's get, uh, called away to home to go see his ailing father. So hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on with this book. Uh, it's a really cool read. I definitely recommend it. It's you know It'll take you on a little emotional ride. And it's a great love story, too. Right. So definitely it'll, it'll throw you off for what you're expecting with this. But I thought it was a very, very solid read. That's on Comixology Originals. You definitely want to go check that one out. Also, the Massiverse coming in strong this week. Radiant Black, number 22. It's a breakaway from the normal story, um, from the hit series at Image Comics and Black Market Narrative. So they're focusing on a plot thread that, Pad, you know about. Okay. Because how did Radiant Black open up? Nathan came in from yeah. California. Yeah. Nathan goes back to Cali. Oh, okay. And ties, well, I don't want to say he ties up some loose ends, but there's been a plot that's been hanging for a couple issues. Sure. That they do address. Mm. So this is kind of the calm before the storm because they did announce in a very, very cool video package too, by the way, that issue 25 kicks off the Catalyst War, which is going to be game-changing for Radiant Black. Mm. And if you know anything about Kyle Higgins doing special big events, you know this one is going to be a monster so you definitely want to have this on your radar, but this issue definitely it was a it was a cool break from the norm, so to speak. So Kyle Higgins, Eduardo Figueroa, Z Carlos, who we saw on the Rogue Sun Seven issue, uh, is uh, splitting art duties here. It, phenomenal job by the team here as well. So like Radiant Black is always a solid read, no matter when you pick it up. But this one, like I say, it's kind of a twist ending or twist story because they don't really focus a lot on the superhero side of things. Sure. So it's it's a very cool read, though, nevertheless. Also, Image Comics had a very, very cool debut. Phantom Road, number one, Jeff Lemire, Gabriel Walta. So this book pad might not be up your alley, okay? but it might be because it kind of has a very cool sci-fi horror element to it. Okay. The short synopsis I'll give you is a truck driver swerves to void an accident okay. that happens. And there's a girl that's in that's lying next to the car, and there's an object in the road, and once they hit the object, things change mm-hmm. in ways they cannot explain. And the book is a very, very cool read. It was one that I was not expecting where the story went. Right. I'm fully invested in it. I think that it's gonna be something that, like I say, if you're not into like, you know, we'll say traditional horror. It's not really a horror book, to be honest with you. It's kind of it. Just, there's elements of it in there, right? But it's it's got so many different themes going on. It's definitely a big win at the comic shop. So I recommend that Phantom Road number one from Image Comics. And the last pick I had is coming from Boom Studios and Pad. Were you ever a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan? No, well, I was not. Nothing against it. Just that wasn't on my radar. See, I always remember the TV show. Um, with Sarah Michelle Gellar, right. just early days of uh, the WB. Right. Well, Boom does the Buffy comics. Okay. And they did a Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer special. So this book is, according to the synopsis, which I'll just read right off the opening page because it does explain a lot because I've been getting hit up a lot today about this book. Quote, in an alternate universe in the not-so-distant future, Buffy Summers once stood as the only Slayer left after the entire line was eradicated, nearly 50 years after she was first called. Friendless and alone, she wandered the streets of London in the shadows until a new Slayer, Slayer was called in the form of Thessala, 
the daughter of Willow and Tara, who have taken who has taken up the mantle, is now tr- getting trained as the last vampire slayer. So, like I say, alternate universe in the future. So Buffy is not hmm. the teenage uh, vampire slayer. She's right. she's you know very well in her she, years. She's seasoned. Yes. And it's a story about how she's trained in the next generation. It's a one shot. Okay. It's a fun story. Huh. Like I say, it was one that I it captured that essence of the TV show a little bit in the sense of the humor and the and just uh, like the overall story with it. Sure. So if you're a fan of the TV show, you'll probably dig it. Um, for me, like I say, I wasn't super familiar with it, but it, I've seen enough of the show that I can get right. a vibe from it. Right. It definitely brought me back. So I thought, like, yeah, this is a very cool book, and it really captures what it is. So the fandom will be happy because, you know, when Boom, whatever they do with the fandoms, they usually well, – they always hit out of the park, in my opinion. Right. I shouldn't say usually, but I haven't read every single book, contrary to popular belief. But everything that's come across my way, they've, they've definitely hit. And this is going to be one, if you're a fan of Buffy, you definitely want to go check out. And as always, remember to go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at and go support your favorite independent comic podcast doing big work, especially our guy Brian Wayne. Big interview this week. So if you're not following Cheers to Comics, make sure you fix that quick. That's kind of a little you know teaser for you this week. You definitely want to make sure you go and follow what he's doing. So super, super cool interview he had this week. That being said, Pad, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. We're going to say goodbye as we always do. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. I'm thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.